Tuesday evening, we're live doing Zinnika once again. Willis Janvier, who's in Taylor's Tuesday. Clearwater River Denny Nation band member at the SLU in the Treaty 8 territory. Yes. And how are doing Zinnika? Treaty 4 territory. It's RC. Oma the Cream AT Sue, Assiniboine, Dakota. Lakota, all beautiful indigenous people. Hello, Dunide. Dog outs in Ozzy. They say hi, say what's up. Don't I've got a guest for you, Noah. But in Taylor's tours in Demetra King, who lead Bibian, Abelian, Stephen King, who eat a no halyatia, yonse research another. You see, good day, Jamie Sylvester, uh, university, ha. Tessa Wolverine, hi, hi, hi. University research another, and you see, there northern Saskatchewan base. So, questions, you know, it's in a bit interesting that you see, um, you know, one thing uh, I want to talk about it, Durit, uh, maybe uh, church involvement. See, I can see you, Father Descharm. Beg on Yansa Sihunt. Oh, what else? Uh, residential school boss in a two, uh, that the school hall in Lenisi in Taylor's to Onara. You know, there was, uh, so there's some, um, key points I think that the Sihunt Ozzy, but it's in research boss. And, uh, yeah, just question what's in it. The Ardaru Jaza, you know. Keep it going like um it's always good to see uh the government policies you know even in this this is uh sixty seventy years ago so with that uh I will bring her in. Demetria King, Demetria Atlanta, how are you? I'm good. How are you? 
Nezuna Zoom. How you actually just you just got me when I was having a drink of water and it was just panic for like two seconds here to put my water bottle away. And I was like, of course, this is how I would get my introduction. Of course, this would happen to me. Uh, but I'm fine. I am fine. Thank you. I saw it in um, the back. That's why that's why uh, I know. I know you saw it. <laughs> You knew I was nervous and you're like, let me yeah. throw this girl a curveball. And you did. Yeah. Uh, but yes, I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you for having me, by the way. Yeah, no uh, problem. Uh, how about I get you to introduce yourself, um, you know, for the audience here tonight and uh, maybe say hi to your grandparents on the West Coast. Huh? Yeah, so I believe my grandparents in the West Coast are watching. So my Nana and Papa uh, so hi to them if they are watching. If they're not watching, they will see it later. So either way, hi to them. Uh, but my name is Demetria King. I am Stephen and Bibiana King's daughter. I do feel the need to reintroduce myself because like two-ish weeks ago, maybe a week ago, someone asked my dad if I was running in the federal election up north. <laughs> And I'm not Harmony King, no relation to Harmony King. Uh, no, like no hate to Harmony King either. Like girl, you, I could never, uh, but, but good on ya. And yeah, so I'm not Harmony, no confusion there. Uh, I'm currently a student at the U of S. I have a degree in political studies and I am hoping to finish my second degree this year. And then hopefully next year, I will be doing a master's where I continue on with this research. Hmm. Nice, good stuff, Nezun. It's a lot of good stuff since you uh, left Lalash. So, uh, you know, maybe tell us a bit, uh, you know, like myself here, you don't live there anymore. You've moved away. And what have you done over the years, um, you know, since you moved from the small town and into the big smoke? Uh, oh gosh, people are about to find out how boring I am. So not a lot. Like, I, I wish I could tell you guys I moved. So I, I shouldn't say that it's not entirely true. Like I said, I graduated in 2017 with a BA in political studies. Uh, and then in 2018, I spent about six ish months living in Italy, came home from that decided uh, that I needed to do something with my life. Uh, because um just bumming around wasn't really cutting it for a lot of people. And really it was just vibes, just vibes. And no one understands that when you're just hanging out. But anyway, so decided to go back to school because I wanted to get the prerequisites to become a therapist and uh, actually ended up doing this project because of my history professor, Cheryl Troop, who was the person that told me to apply. Uh, but last year I took a food history class because I, I just needed to take another class. So I really took it on a whim. I was like, I like food. I like history. This seems like the place for me. And I ended up really enjoying the class. I wrote a paper on a Ukrainian cookbook that my mother-in-law had gifted me. And it was really meaningful to my mother-in-law and her family because it's basically this uh, really, it's almost like a guide on how to be Ukrainian, but it, it's just this super sentimental cookbook that's really hard to find. It's not in print anymore. I should have brought it upstairs with me, but it 
anyway, besides the point. So, and then I also in that class wrote a paper on how food was weaponized when signing treaties in Saskatchewan. Uh, so yeah, that's what I've been up to. What do you mean by food was weaponized, you know, um, when signing the treaty? So, and this is more to do with Southern Saskatchewan than with Northern Saskatchewan. Uh, they basically overhunted the bison population, leaving the indigenous people with uh, no major food source. So a lot of uh, indigenous leaders were aware that uh, they would have to sign treaty because their people are starving, uh, they're dying from disease, they're not doing well, and they have no aid uh, available to them because they refuse to sign treaty. So a lot of these leaders end up um, being forced into having to sign treaties because their people are starving and they have no other choice but to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of, that's basically what I mean by weaponizing food. Mm-hmm. And like, there's another famous instance of weaponizing food. Um, if anyone is familiar with the Saizi Dene in Manitoba. Yeah. And I'm, the relocation of the Saizi. Yeah, the relocation of the Saizi Dene and depriving them of their major food source and just seeing a entire community fall apart over the span of like 10 years, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Nezu, Nezu. Um, what was the, uh, what is your research call that you've done? Uh, you know, it's entirely on northern Saskatchewan or just uh, Lalash area? It's entirely on northern Saskatchewan. So I ended up focusing uh, towards the end of my project on just Lalash, and we'll get to why. But my project is about Tommy Douglas and the Cooperative Commonwealth Federation. A mouthful to say that, my goodness. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Tommy Douglas is really uh, revered in Canadian society. He's really looked upon as being this... uh, great Canadian. And he was voted one year. I had to look into this before the podcast. He was voted uh, greatest Canadian in 2004. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it was only a vote of like 1.2 million people. So not at all representative of like the larger Canadian population, but yeah. there were still 1.2 million people that thought he was the greatest Canadian. And what he's really known for is being what they call the father of Medicare. And there is a school in Saskatoon that's named after him. And uh, yeah, he was just a little old Baptist minister that was like, you know what? I I have the power to save these people because he comes into power in 1944. So basically end of the Great Depression, end of the Second World War. And uh, a lot of people are struggling during these times. But the people who are experiencing a lot of struggle at this time are uh, the people of Northern Saskatchewan, specifically the Indigenous people of Northern Saskatchewan. In 1944, they still don't have a full season road that takes them from uh, the north to the south. Like They they don't have that yet. They don't really have an established economy. And they also don't have municipalities. So Mm -hmm. they don't have actual designated communities. They essentially just have um, church missionaries, Pardon? Villages. Yeah, they don't have villages yet. So they just have um, they just have missionaries. They're running their churches in these areas. And a lot of people are coming and going from these villages. 
uh, because they're they're hunting, they're living off of the land. They don't really have any fixed address, mm-hmm. but uh, it is known that at this time the population of animals is starting to dwindle. There are not as many as there used to be. Uh, mm-hmm. People are getting sick. Uh, they don't have the greatest health care up there, which is still a problem that we deal with today. So I really just wanted to focus on Northern Saskatchewan because I, going into this project, really felt like there wasn't a huge focus on Northern Saskatchewan. And um, I don't know about everybody else, but I think it always feels like your hometown is lacking in history because you live there. So you, you can take advantage of like, you live there. You don't really know a lot about the history. Like you'll know some And I'm taking a history class right now uh, that's about the urban indigenous population in Saskatoon. And my professor was like, well, what do you guys know about the urban indigenous population in Saskatoon? And I've lived here for nine years and I I really can't think of anything. So when I had to start focusing my project, I really decided to hone in on Lalash because that's a place that I'm familiar with. Hmm. Cool. We'll, we'll get into Lalash in a bit. I, I I look forward to going deep into that conversation. But, you know, since Tommy Douglas is this new minister, you know, how has that affected the North and what, what did you find? You know, um... so Tommy Douglas is premier of Saskatchewan. Well, he's elected premier of Saskatchewan in 1944 mm-hmm. and he's thrown into, like I said, they're coming out of World War Two. Uh, The people in northern Saskatchewan are dealing with a lot of unique struggles that the people of southern Saskatchewan are not dealing with. And it is at the forefront of everybody's minds because they are aware that the people of northern Saskatchewan exist and they're aware that they're dealing with these struggles. But they have no idea what it's like to live there. They haven't really communicated with these people. So instead of, you know, doing the like, normal thing you would do if you were like what can we do to help you know instead of Mm -hmm. asking they assume yeah so they assume what the people want and they i think my favorite thing about this era in history and the best way it has been described is as a giant social experiment Mm -hmm. and i i think in tommy douglas's mind and i can't speak for him he really just thought that everything would be hunky-dory if we just introduced farming, if we just introduced all these cooperatives where people could like hunt and fish and everything would be government regulated so they wouldn't be getting taken advantage of by the Hudson's Bay Company any longer because that is something that he was worried about. Mm-hmm. And so he introduces all of these policies that completely changed northern Saskatchewan. And one of the most interesting that I found was the Saskatchewan Fur Marketing Board, where he essentially, I think it, he really just focuses on muskrat because there's a lot of muskrat. The, the beaver population had dwindled and they had a few years where they couldn't hunt beaver and trap it and trade it. So he really focuses on the fur trade industry and how are we going to overhaul it? Because He's an outsider looking in and he sees that the HBC is taking advantage of these poor indigenous people mm-hmm. and he wants he wants to save them. And it's a lot of the the one thing that like keeps coming up in my research is there's a lot of white saviorism mm-hmm. and a lot of what 
they call paternalistic. So he has this very fatherly view of, you know, I'm just trying to protect you. I'm just doing what is in your best interests. So he doesn't actually consult with the people. Do you want this for a marketing board? He just decides to implement it without realizing that the Hudson's Bay company had been in the North for so many years at this point. Like I was, when I was doing like the, just like the start of my research, uh, there was stuff dating back to like the 1880s going on in Lalash. So the HBC had been there for quite a while at that point. And big reason why uh, the fur marketing board didn't work was they would not allow people to operate on a credit system. So mean, basically it just meant that um, they wouldn't allow people to take something from a store with the idea that once the trapping season was over, they could pay for it then because they know that's when people have money. Uh, Douglas was very firm on the fact that uh, he just thought Indigenous people couldn't handle credit. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, he's throwing all sorts of credit at farmers in the South to do whatever they can to save their farms. Which was but probably already being done already, sorry, um, you know, by the Hudson Bay Company. They probably, you know, you hear these old stories about, you know, they charging, you know, for flour, uh, sugar, all that stuff already within at the northern, which is now the northern, you know. Yes. Yeah. And, well, and, and that's what's. And I want to point out, you know, 1944, <laughs> you know, our treaty was signed in 1899. So now, you know, I, I get a bit of, uh, you know, the way you, you, you speak of, you know, Tommy Douglas, like, uh, you know, he had the right intentions. And, and, but it sounds like maybe there was a bit of a hidden agenda there, maybe, um, to what he was Yeah, doing. there was. And I also just want to say that I at one point had said to my research supervisor, I was like, but he seemed so well-intentioned. And she was like, but was he? And I was like, oh. <laughs> so a big, another big part of my project has been, uh, so the Cooperative Commonwealth Federation eventually turns into modern day NDP. Okay. And Tommy Douglas is still really revered in the NDP. And in February of 2020, I had to, I had to like go on to like politicians, Instagram accounts and like scroll through and take screenshots. And I, I look like a crazy person if you were to scroll through my camera roll because it's just screenshots of like all these politicians accounts. And I, I look like the person with corkboard and string being like, look at this, like insanity. But anyway. Uh, so in February of 2021, uh, Ryan Miley, the leader of the Saskatchewan NDP posts something to the effect of, we always need to, uh, remember Tommy Douglas for wanting to make the world a better place and wanting to give people a better opportunity. And I have to go on to Jagmeet Singh's website and he is the leader of the federal NDP and it's the same for him. Like he, on August 3rd, 2021, uh, was mentioning celebrating 65 years since the beginning of the NDP party by looking back and celebrating the things that Tommy Douglas had done. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say, it's still amazing that he was the person that brought Medicare to the country. I love that we have universal health care. 
but you can still separate uh, someone from the good that they've done and also look at harm that they've caused. Mm -hmm. So, let's, yeah, let's <laughs> let's get into that a bit and how, you know, how all, all of these good intentions have actually harmed, you know, people. Um, I'm. I think 19 in the 40s is when uh, Lalash got a school. Yes, it was in the 40s. Yeah. It so was. all this was getting established in Lalash. Let's go ahead and 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 maybe just focus on Lalash here a bit and how these uh, new um, policies, I guess, from uh, the new Tommy Douglas, the premier, as uh, you know, affected and and the people of Lalash and. And I want to get into this because I want to see, um, you know, what was actually their thinking, which you'll find out here in a bit, you know, into colonization, assimilation and all that stuff. So, yeah, so Tommy Douglas, wait, I need to before I speak on this and make myself look like a fool, gotta fact check my own monologue here. Yeah. Uh, but with the introduction of the child tax benefit, yeah. there was a clause that in order to receive it, your child had to be attending school. Mm -hmm. So you start to see an increase in children attending school because parents are so poverty stricken they have no other choice, but there are still in like there are still occasions where you will see parents who um, take their children to their trap line because they need all the help they can get. So you'll still yeah. see the occasional thing like that happening. Yeah. But you see the introduction of the mission opens their school. Mm -hmm. um, and it is now, well, it's not the same building, it's a different building in now. Lush, but, in yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, the elementary school. Mm -hmm. Different building, different, different whatever. But so that's opened in Lalash. And it's interesting because my main source that I used for this project was this old church newsletter that I had no idea. I had no idea it existed. I found it while looking for something else. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Lalash. And I just, I accidentally stumbled upon it and it was like a dream come true. I was like, it was honestly like the heavens open up. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have found the perfect source. And it's just this church newsletter. And it's all from like the, like the missionaries and they're writing about what's going on in Lalash at the time. Mm -hmm. So I downloaded all of them. And I went through them one by one because I wanted to be able to compare. So what's happening in the wash mm -hmm. and what policies is Tommy Douglas enacting at this time? Okay. So just to preface this a little bit, you don't really see a lot of church involvement and Tommy Douglas at the same time, because in the beginning, he was really wanting to separate church and state. So he wasn't wanting to have to uh, request the help of, churches to help him with whatever he was doing. And then he quickly realizes, oh, there, there's no one else to help me with what I want to do in these communities. I now have to rely on the church. So one really interesting thing that I found, and it was in other Northern communities as well. We weren't the only one. They introduced 4-H clubs. Mm -hmm. And 4-H clubs are just 
they're just farming clubs. That's really all they are. So you see, they do have sections where either they allowed the kids to like give them a little blurb about something and they wrote it for the kids and put it in this newsletter or the kids wrote it themselves. I'm not, mm-hmm. not too sure how it worked, but you see the kids are writing these sections on their, their newsletters about this 4-H club that they have. And it's really being um, honed in on that these kids really need to pursue agriculture and for like amateur gardens like basically (laughs) imagine a garden that a little kid could grow that's what they're doing those are their operations uh they have like some livestock but nothing crazy yeah and then they have these fairs they have their 4-h fairs and they have judges come up who are government officials (laughs) To, to yeah to judge their gardens and so they talk about having a horticulturist from the U of S coming to Lalage to look at these gardens and it's like this person seems extremely overqualified to be flying to Lalage because there's no road at this point keep in yeah, mind yeah. so it's not like it's not like it's an easy endeavor Mm-hmm. And he has to come to Lalosh, and they also have the agricultural representative from the CCF, so mm-hmm. from the political party, and yeah. he's up there as well, and he's judging their their crop, which mm-hmm. is it's super it's really fascinating to me, um, because it's happening in other northern communities as well. Like it was happening in Larange, it was happening, I think, in Isla Cross. But basically, the point is they wanted to encourage children to pursue agriculture. Yeah. For whatever for whatever reason, they really thought that the introduction of agriculture would stick with Indigenous people. In the north. I, in the north, which I don't yeah. think they took into. Yeah, I don't really think they took into consideration that uh, the north has um, a different climate from southern Saskatchewan. Yeah. So. But another interesting point about gardening in uh, the area is during this time, the CCF is pouring a lot of money into Uranium City. Mm -hmm. And they have, Uranium City has like a population of Indigenous people, of course, but they have a huge population of white people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. they uh a lot of men had this complaint of their wives not wanting to come with them to uranium city because there's nothing for them there uh the grocery store isn't great and all of this stuff so at some point they hire once again another uh horticulturist to go and assess different areas in the province to see if they can find a place to farm uh, so they could have vegetables for mm-hmm. Uranium City. <laughs> and they actually assessed uh, Clearwater and found that Clearwater would be a good place to have a farm. And this is what kills me. <laughs> this is just, it's, it's like, how did you think this was gonna work? Uh, they, <laughs> they uh, they decided, they're like, okay, we need to get this farm up and running in Clearwater so we can send uh, produce to uh, Uranium City. And it's like, okay, who's going to work it? Well, the people of Lalosh, obviously. It's like, what? But it's not for them. <laughs> like, it's, 
<laughs> so there's this there's this idea that the indigenous people um, really need to help the settlers in the area in making them comfortable. Yeah, yeah. And that, yeah. And that seems to be like a, a theme that I saw throughout it, which is um, a lot of people who are outsiders coming into the community just being like, I'm just not used to it. And Wash didn't have a radio until like 1956 or something like that. <laughs> like yeah. they had, they had no connection to the outside world. So I can see how it's it wouldn't be appealing to go to a place where they don't have a radio. But mm -hmm. yeah. I wonder if anybody, you know, maybe some of the elders they remember. You know, some people flying in. Hey, you know, we're in school right now, and and they're gonna take a look at what we are growing you know that's uh, is, they, they probably didn't uh you know uh, let's just point this out that now you're doing this research they probably didn't think you know the the reason behind all of this you know is to really change the, the people of the north you know from you know implementing this new board you know trying to get away from the hudson bay company which we're still dealing with today and, uh, you know, the slow effects of colonialism, you know, trying to assimilate into being a part of the South and making it easier for, for you know, the non-Indigenous population. Well, and Tommy Douglas, he actually visited Lolosh at one point by plane, of course. There's no road. He, he can't drive. It's too far. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> let's farm on our Muskeg line. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> but he he goes to Lalosh. What was Clearwater? Um, people already settled there in the forties. So, so it's not. And this is, I I didn't look too much into this because reserves in northern Saskatchewan hadn't been formally plotted essentially. Because I know in Lalosh for sure they ended up like where moving the reserve at some point. Yeah. So where they are now. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that was the case for like quite a few communities as they didn't have like their reserves in place yet. Mm -hmm. And that was like a big issue in indigenous communities is a lot of people didn't really understand um, yeah. the idea of separating the two mm -hmm. uh, because it was just who you were related to, whether you were status or not. Right. Yeah. Like you, you're not gonna, and that was another thing that I, I read too is, um, and it's another like funny, like part of history is when settlers start to move into Lalosh, they're horrified at the layout of the community. Absolutely mm -hmm. horrified because people are building their houses just close to family members. So you just have these little plots with just basically shacks on them. And they're like, this is not how a community should be laid out. And they start, they hire urban planners to plot out streets and to build neighborhoods because they don't understand that people are building uh, houses close together because that's just what you do. You live close to your family members. Mm -hmm. So I found that kind of funny to be like, oh, this is horrifying. Like you guys don't have neighborhoods. And it's like, you need to understand that Northern Saskatchewan is a bit further behind than Southern Saskatchewan at this time. Just a bit, just a little just, just bit. Just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you hear the stories of people from West Lalosh coming over and then, you know, once they did, which 
early 1900s sometime. I'm not sure exactly when. But, um, you know, all this is being, being implemented on them and not knowing why and going to school. You know, at that time, there's Father Ducharme, you know, uh, and the nuns and all this. And, uh, you know, meanwhile, all this, the rest of the country, they're actually dealing with uh, residential schools and all that type of system. And so really, do you think it was, you know, kind of the same thing that was going on there at the time? A little, but not to the same extent. Mm -hmm. Not... Um, because we need to keep in mind that a lot of the policies Tommy Douglas implements fail. (laughs) They don't exist any longer. Uh, So, and I think it was just in 1958, they start building the road. Allison just... Yeah. Sorry. I'm just like, I I have to read this comment. And yes, you are right, Allison. That is basically what happened. But um, we're not really the same. Like it was kind of this abrupt change. So -hmm. they go from having little interest in the North to, oh my gosh, we can no longer ignore this problem. Mm -hmm. And part of the reasoning behind it is Tommy Douglas and the CCF realize that they can capitalize off of the resources in Northern Saskatchewan. So there's a lot of money put into Uranium City because they realize that they can profit off of that. Mm -hmm. And, but what was like another thing, uh, just because of how the tables have turned and the way things have played out is Uranium City was the first town in Northern Saskatchewan to have power. And everybody else came much later. Really? So, north than us. Right? And no offense to anyone in Uranium City. It is awful what happened there. But, like, look at where they are now. Like, all of this money was poured into that place. Yeah. And and they just, they extracted everything. There's nothing left there. I think there's about maybe 40 people left there, I think. Yeah, I... Like in Tommy Douglas's mind, he was creating this utopian, beautiful city that would that would last forever and give Saskatchewan all the money that it needed, and that did not work. Um, no, it did not work. So they see this as an opportunity to capitalize off of the resources and maybe do a bit too much extraction. Yeah. Uh, so that was part of their reasoning behind it as well, and. What happened in Uranium City was also like, okay, I keep saying this was also really interesting to me. It's my own project. I find all of it fascinating. There's not a single part where I'm like, well, that's not going to go over that. (laughs) But I did find it fascinating uh, that in Uranium City, uh, it is documented that there was segregation. So the Indigenous people are being told that they cannot set up tents within a one mile radius of the city really and yeah and that is because the people who are living there are just like i'm uncomfortable it's like well get over it like i don't know how to (laughs) 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 like what what are you scared of exactly (laughs) so so they are they're told uh you have to set your tents up outside of this one mile radius you can't come closer to the city and there is another, yeah. 
there's there yeah they they can't well it's not teepees at this point it is tents <laughs> some yeah. pictures yeah. they just they have like these little tents that they set up and yeah, canvas but, tents yeah that's yeah the it's, canvas it's funny you mentioned that you know um one of the things you brought up you know like uh, the north it's happening i know i know you talk about uh, uranium city but uh going back to lalash here you know more and more um non-indigenous people non-dene people are coming into the area and they're learning of these uh you know this new people new place and and what was their thinking that you found in your research about uh you know the dene people in at home what uh I'm sure some of it was documented, what they thought, what they saw, all that stuff, uh, you know, and this is only 70 years ago. Yeah, so I really struggled to, and maybe I just looked in the wrong place. So if anyone could point me in the right direction, it would be greatly appreciated. But I really struggled to find the Indigenous perspective. Mm -hmm. So something i've thought about a lot over the last couple of days is this era in history really comes from the church like we're only hearing the opinion of the church we don't really hear the opinion of indigenous people and when we do we hear it from we hear it in the church newsletter from the kids attending the school in lalage mm -hmm. and you can see moments where you're like, did a child really say that? Not that I'm accusing any of those nuns of lying. <laughs> hey. Just, I mean, maybe, don't know, who knows? But uh, I do remember reading this church newsletter and finding, just wait, I, I have this, I saved this so I could read it later. Uh, I do find an, I, pardon? Go ahead. Oh, I do find, so in the Great Portage, the April to June 1957 edition, I find an instance of a child being told um, of the importance of school by a nun. And the direct quote is, she told us to go ahead in our studies and become useful citizens. What does that imply? <laughs> And this is from a kid from Lalash. <laughs> and this is from a kid from Lalash. And so the generation before her would have not attended school. So her parents likely didn't attend school. Mm -hmm. um, so what does this imply? Does no, it imply? Yeah, what does it imply? Does it imply that the only people who are useful citizens are those who attend school? I mean, I mean, that that knowing now that is you know the thinking of uh non-indigenous people you know really yeah. history it, all the things that we have seen uh you know that you know you did say it was not like a residential school but maybe in a way because it was run by you know the missionaries the nuns uh, father ducharme all that stuff so uh, um, i'm gonna say yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I would have to. Yeah. Um, I didn't read a lot about Father Ducharme, like the area in history that I'm focused on from 1944 to like early 1960s. It is Father Matthew who is predominantly in charge 
of the mission. Mm -hmm. Um, The one funny thing I did find and like everyone just take this with a grain of salt um, is it was either the nun suggested it or he suggested it himself, but Father Ducharme, uh, how it got the name of the school was he either named it after himself or the nun suggested it. And he was like, what a lovely name. <laughs> he clearly didn't say no. So, yeah. I mean, I mean, I like, I don't know what Lalash is like at the time, but like, there's a lake right there. You could, I don't know. <laughs> you could name it Lac Lalash, but, uh, yeah, so I found that kind of amusing is that these people, um, there's, it's like they just have blinders on where it's just like, it's just their world. <laughs> Everybody yeah. else is living in it. And I found that to be just a little bit amusing where it was like, it was either he named it after himself yeah. or the nuns suggested it. And he was like, sure, why not? <laughs> Well, you, you see a bit of that, right? In even in today with the church and, um, you know, in the north, in Lalash, we have our language, but we don't have the culture part about it. You know, it's uh, we've lost that spiritual part of it and uh, the church has taken over that. So that's all we've been shown, you know, for, I guess, since 1940, since the missionaries came and... Uh, you know, it's all we know. And it's really sad because, uh, you know, I've asked some elders. I know my late grandfather, I asked him and he's, he didn't know anything past that. So I'm guessing 1940s, maybe, you know, before that, we someone might have held the drum in their hand and maybe uh, they, they were doing ceremonies. And, and now these strangers come along and, and here we are. This is all they see and all they know now. Slowly yeah. changed. Okay, I'm just going to read yeah. this. I can't type. But in my studies and research, I have found so much information about what was told to our people, how they should live compared to how they knew how to live and survive. A lot of times they were told that what was better for them. I suppose I'm fortunate enough to have heard bits and parts of what was before church. You're right, Demetra. So much is documented from church perspective. There isn't much to read about. People say it's a lot for real. Yes, you know, and and I like how um, Allison is uh, commenting and sharing anything she has found because, uh, you know, the reason I wanted to, uh, you know, maybe bring all this up is, is you know, we're, we're in a, a bit of a... What, how would you say it? Uh, you know, are we at a crossroads? Yeah, you know, where we we talk about reconciliation, decolonizing, and all this stuff. And I think all this stuff has slowly got to move forward and be heard, you know, and um, nothing against the church or anything they have done. But as myself, I, I have my language, but I would like to know, you know. If about Dene people, uh, about ceremony and all that stuff, I wish I was taught as a kid, but uh, I'm not because of uh, the church. I do, I do think going forward, and it was another thing that I've thought a lot about since you put it on me that we're just going to do the podcast because I was dragging my feet. Um, <laughs> I have thought a lot about 
what this project has meant to me. And it has really shown me that Lalash does have its own unique history. Um, but it has also shown me that we do now need to start doing more mm -hmm. and myself included to preserve our history because um, don't get me wrong, it was still great that I landed upon this collection of documents and was able to go through it the way that I was, mm -hmm. but it is just from one perspective. And everything that they're putting into these newsletters is obviously going to be framed in a very positive light. And there was one thing I told you in these newsletters that I do, I do just wanna talk about now, and that is the 60s scoop. Mm -hmm. So I did find in one of these newsletters, I will go and I'll find the direct quote and I will read it for you. Uh, one of the other things I, that you told me too was that, uh, you know, there wasn't a road that gets uh, to Lalash, an area. So there, they thought there was no reason to build the residential school. That yeah, so it would have, uh, their thinking behind it was if, they wanted it to service other communities, they would have to fly everyone there, which seemed really costly because that is really costly. Mm -hmm. uh, so they didn't see a need for it. But in one of these newsletters, I did find one of the priests wrote about how attendance was really low at the school. And he says something to the effect of that they one day hope to have a boarding school. And he understands that they can't have one right now, but he does hope that that dream will be realized. Mm -hmm. And is it really just because not enough children are attending your school at that point? Like I can't, I obviously can't interpret what these people um, said by this. I don't know what was going on in their minds. Um, it's just interesting to me that there was talk of doing it but because of how isolated Lalash was, they were able to avoid it. Mm. Which is good. Yeah. Yeah, which is good. It, it ends up working out in our favor, right? Like we didn't have to deal with that. I mean, there are still people in our community that attended residential schools, but yeah. it would have been a much higher number if we had had one in our community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then while so, then we had things like, you know, like you're going to share with us about the 60s scoop here, which has uh, affected, you know, many people too, so. Yeah, so I will just read this section to you. It is from the Great Portage, January to April 1957. And they have this section of their newsletter that is dedicated to visitors coming to town. Uh, and visitors coming to town is considered a big deal just because everyone has to fly in. Once again, there's not a road. And so they go through this section and they go short, short, shorter, shortest. And I'm going to read the shortest to you and then we can talk about it. Uh, and it says, Miss M.A. Rue R.N. and Mr. J. Kerr of North Battleford just dropped down from heaven, picked a baby and flew away again, thus recording the shortest visit so far. Hmm. So when that is in 1957, so that does align with the time of, that in is that in a newsletter? What or it's in a newsletter. A, it's it's in a church newsletter that is called the Great Portage. I'll put a link in to the chat afterwards, uh, yeah. so people can go and look through it because it's it's really interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, but we just from what we know in history, 
we do know what is being described. There is a child being taken away. Yeah. We we don't know the child's name. We're not told a reason for why they're being taken away. It's being made to look like this really positive thing, you know, two angels coming from heaven and they picked a baby. Really wow. weird way of I mean. putting it. And so it's it's one of those things, right? Where it's the church and government policy are acting together and really making these things happen at the time. And yeah, it's awful. Like, and it's not really talked about in our community. Like I, well, I know that people have talked about it. It has, it has become a topic of conversation in recent times. Uh, but I didn't know about the 60s yeah. scoop until I was like, gosh, probably towards the end of my high school. Like it wasn't really talked about at that point, but yeah. we were also just coming out of like, we had just found out about everything that had happened in residential schools. And then we were in for another surprise this year, but the 60 scoop is definitely uh, less talked about. I do think there's more focus on it now. But. Mm -hmm. hmm. Yeah. You know, you just think uh, it could be one of our relatives. We don't know that, you know, how many, no, you don't No, no. How many elders out there, you know, that uh, may remember something or, you know, it's, it's, you know, how much I, I just connect the dots that, you know, that newsletter and then the thinking today from the church, you know, and how maybe even some people, uh, you know, a couple of priests that have been within the community of, uh, they are seen as, you know, a, a godsend, I guess, or something really good for the people, you know, and then looking back today, was it really good? You know, we, the loss of culture, we see that, we have the language, you know, they tried to make us farmers, that didn't work. And then now there, there's a bit of disconnection there, you know, and and, and, and I know this myself because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm living proof of that, but, uh, you know, maybe some of the stuff that is going on today, some of the, the things we face you know, the social, uh, economic, uh, you know, all that stuff ties into that. Yeah, and I, I don't think that's a stretch at all. Like, I think we can safely make that judgment. Mm -hmm. And I do think it's interesting looking at these newsletters and then looking at what's currently going on in our community and uh the road just keeps coming up like just constantly throughout these newsletters like people were wanting a road for a really long time and now we have a road and it's awful <laughs> it's, it's the worst and so we get these things we still we're still given them but then it's like but you get the worst and it's like why <laughs> can't yeah. we why can't we get nice things too um but yeah, like I, I would agree with that. Like we can look back at what's going on in 1940s and 1950s and we can make connections to today. Like I know in these newsletters, it is, they have these sections that are dedicated to who is in hospital this week. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are getting sick with tuberculosis at this time. And you look at where we are now and we're still experiencing a lot of illness in our community. Mm -hmm. um, just like a side to that 
is in these newsletters on more than one occasion, they talk about having to shut down the school because of the flu. Really? Yeah. Which I thought was really interesting in the context of today. Uh, but yeah, on more than one occasion, they're like, the flu was so bad. <laughs> Everybody got it. <laughs> we weren't so, lying when we said we're resilient. Oh, no, we were not. We weren't lying. But for anyone that went to elementary school with me, mm -hmm. this is a funny memory that I have of my own time living in, well, not funny, but like, you'll understand in a second. Uh, <laughs> does anyone else remember getting Parvo? <laughs> <laughs> yes does anyone else remember getting parvo in elementary school i only this is only a vivid memory of my childhood because it's something that dogs get yeah. and i was explaining this to my partner who is not from an indigenous community and uh he was just like are you sure that that happened i was like yes <laughs> why would i make this up <laughs> and so um, there was one year where a bunch of us got parvo. Mm -hmm. But what was really funny is one of my friends, uh, Lacey, her dad, Walter, the Dene teacher at the high school. Yeah. Uh, anyone who knows my mom and my parents before I went on, they were like, you are not to embarrass us tonight. And it's like, <laughs> it's not embarrassing if you did it yourself. <laughs> <laughs> this is the truth. Uh, and Walter, anyone who knows my mom, you know, she's a huge clean freak. But Walter made the joke that my mom would be bleaching her kids to prevent us from getting parvo. <laughs> Drink it. No, no, don't do not. Please do not take any health advice from this podcast. Um, yeah. We are not no, qualified. Yeah, we're we are not qualified officials, but uh, yeah, Walter said that my mom would bathe her kids in bleach, and then lo and behold, we both got parvo. Yeah. But I I've made I've made the joke like a few times that like COVID wouldn't stand a damn chance with my mom around, like girl girl and her bleach. <laughs> yeah, That's funny. I remember when I was a kid. I think you get to, uh, you know, speaking of. Uh, diseases or illnesses and um you know tb has been around i'm not sure today how it is today but uh, when i was a kid i had it you know oh, and, you? Uh, yeah you know i think you get tested and you get like a big round thing on your arm yeah i think that means you have it i'm not a medical professional <laughs> i don't know but anyway <laughs> um, but now like all these things man when you the way we're brought up, we're raised, it just kind of, you know, you put it all together and you're like, oh, man. It's like not this, much has changed. Yeah, you know, there's someone had a plan for us and, uh, you know, we're, we're still here, you know. Be be proud of that for sure because some of the things, uh, you know, I'm sure there's more things you have found within your research, but... Uh, I want to get into, uh, you know, Lalash is going to have a, a new school. And I don't know if they're going to rename it or whatever. But uh, what's some of the interesting things you found about Father Descharm and uh, in this Portage newsletter or by the nuns? The great, the great Portage. The great Portage. Really, really on Father Descharm, absolutely nothing. Oh. Uh, like I said, the only interesting thing I found about him was that he may have named the school after himself. That's it. If 
if you are asking me without asking me if I think the school should be renamed, mm-hmm. um, I do think that's a conversation the community needs to have. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe I'll take I, that. Yeah, you can, you can take responsibility for that. <laughs> you brought it up. That's on was not a part of that conversation. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I'm qualified, of course, to mm-hmm. answer that question. And I do think that is a conversation that the community needs to have. Mm-hmm. I, I have struggled throughout my life with feeling when I should talk about something and when it's appropriate within the community because I don't want anyone to misinterpret what I'm saying as a half white person (laughs) with a treaty card. um, I definitely do feel like I'm not always the person who should speak to these things. Uh, So I definitely have thoughts, but I do think that it, it, it should be talked about within the community. Yeah. And that, and that's a good point too. You know, um, some of the things, you know, it, it just, it, it all plays together. Just some, something you said there, you know, as being, uh, you know, Dene and non-Dene, you know, a lot of these things that happened in our communities, uh, you know, lateral violence, all this stuff happens and uh, some things get taken way out or, either misinterpreted or, or just something goes bad when 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 uh it is talked about you know by certain people and i understand yeah. that and and I, I it's happened to me too so even even you know and uh it's just the lateral violence that we face within our communities and and this is probably why right there's so much of the church that has affected us but let us look to the dna laws Think of your upbringing and teaching. Let those be strong. Let those be carried out. Let our indigenous ways of knowing be stronger. We can almost never, we can almost never can get back that what was before churches based on what the current elders will tell us because of beliefs they have been told. But there's some information we need to hold on to that. It really seems imperative more than ever. I also just feel the need to make one like quick clarification. Uh, if anyone at any point tonight felt like I was saying that like Dene culture is dead or anything like that, that was not at all my intent. Um, I just wanted to say that like um, doing this project really opened my eyes to how limited we are uh, from seeing our own perspectives in history. Mm-hmm. And that when I was doing this project, I was really only able to find one side of it. And that was a limitation in my research. And of course, using oral history is, you know, it's there and it's a big thing. But, and this is something I heard today is when you do research, you also need to take into consideration, like I clearly have an academic agenda. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's not the same. And so I understand that like with my research, it comes from a very academic point of view Mm -hmm. and it's merely a critique, but it's not a critique of our people. It is a critique of the people who were around at that time and not our people. But if we weren't able to preserve our history at that time, then 
there was a lot going on at the time. I'm not going to fault anyone for not being like, let me get out my typewriter and write this down. You know, I'm not, <laughs> yeah. not, not going to fault anyone for that. But uh, I mean, I, before that, it was all oral, right? Like, and uh, yeah, it was all oral history. And I, I do think that that is still very valuable. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I still think that. that we still have that. We still, we still have that. I for sure used to love when I was like a little kid and my mom would tell me stories about when she was a kid. I always wanted my dad to tell me stories about when he was a kid, but he was like, I forgot. And so my mom was always the more interesting of yeah. the two. That's my cool. parents are listening right now. My dad's horrified. Yeah. I, <laughs> no, I, uh, I saw something today too. Like, um, you know, um, one of the Denny teachers, she's, you know, on facebook asking on facebook what kind of dna games can we do you know th there's one thing that you can point out that is that is lost we can't deny that i mean uh, we're not critiquing or making it out to be bad people i'm not having that conversation but we cannot deny that there are you know missing things within you know as dna people and uh, i want to get that just out there because uh once that conversation starts you know we we will do you know like allison and them in clear water they're doing their work they're okay well some another group of people has to start on something whether it's the games or the ceremonies all this comes into play you know yes we do not it is not their fault that this was put on them and what we're taught today but now what we're finding today right now 2021 okay we talk about reconciliation and decolonizing everyone is taking a stand and finding our way as people then a people you know these are some of the things that going forward we should be doing Yeah, and my contribution as a Dene person has been, you know, exposing that Tommy Douglas maybe wasn't that great of a guy, okay? Maybe that's what I contribute to the world. No one tag Ryan Miley in this, please. Like, I, I'm not saying that we should go and tear down a Tommy Douglas statue. I'm not not saying that. But I, Ryan Miley, if, you're, if you ever listen to this, get better heroes. Like, oh, yeah. my gosh. Get yeah. better heroes. Like, you know, I... I yeah. I don't believe in any of that, you know, uh, standing up and uh, even some of the things we see today, the, the, the anti-vaxxers, you know, that type of stuff. And, uh, you know, we, we protest, uh, we should do it the right way. And, uh, you know, there's many people out there like yourself, you've, uh, you know, I'm sure this could be like a two-part podcast where, you know, you can just come on again because I'm sure there's more information like I've, you, know, you sent me this information i've only read a skim through it a bit and i'm sure there's more i can find that i can probably uh question you about and which we probably do maybe there's other people that want to get in on this conversation well my goodness we didn't even touch on green lake green lake <laughs> well we're not from there no I'm just <laughs> all the green lake people in the chat leave <laughs> Yeah. That's how you feel. Mm. Um, yes, there still is a ton of stuff that can be discussed. If people are interested in a second part, we can do a second part. Um, I do hope that everything I said tonight made sense. Yeah. Um, because I know the other night, 
uh, Carson, my partner, I was explaining things to him and he, <laughs> this is also anyone who's been in a romantic relationship understands that when it's your spouse, it's different. It, it hits very different. And it's like, you obviously hold them to a standard that is probably not a normal standard, but he was asking me questions. And my immediate thought was, how dare you question me on this, you? And just getting upset. And then he was just like, well, maybe you're just not explaining it. Like maybe you're miss missing some key points. And I was like, you don't even know. I was the person that told you about these things. Uh, and anyway, that is, don't, don't do that. If he's listening yeah. right now, I love you, sweetheart. You're a great person. Um, very good. Very but good. <laughs> he's very good. <laughs> Maybe, maybe next time, maybe we'll send him to Green Lake. Huh? <laughs> yes. you know, okay, but, but, ev but everyone who drives on that highway, like mm -hmm. at any point, has your parent or someone in your family made the joke of leaving you at that White House? Yeah, yeah. How many people? Okay, but, okay but bad things actually happened at that White House. Mm -hmm. So if we wanted to have another episode where we can talk more in a general sense of things that was things that were going on in other northern communities, um, we can because there was a lot going on at the time. It's a really fascinating era to myself. Mm -hmm. uh, and I understand that not everyone shares that passion. But trust me when I say I could go for like 12 hours of me just being like, this is my manifesto. Yeah. Um, but but that's not for everyone. So I get that. I, I think we will do that. You know, um, I, I was told that as a kid, you know, so and I, and I think the house is still there. That it's house still there. Still it's still there. there. So so we can talk a little bit about that house yeah. and and how it is affecting wash people, you know, like it's and, and uh, I guess all of Northern just got Highway 155. Yeah, so we, we can talk more in a more general sense of other things that were happening at the time because it is really interesting to me. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I want to hear maybe a thank you to Allison for, uh, you know, commenting and if anybody wants to point anything out and what they think, I'm just going to keep you on here for a second. And, uh, you know, it, it's good to hear more from, uh, from the people what they think of uh you know something like this coming about because there were always you know i think as indigenous people are always almost like a slap in the face but uh you know something we always find something that is not so good you know and and then we go with it and we try we deal with it right like it's that's just the way it seems nowadays yeah I mean, I personally love doing research. I hope that I do get to continue this work and be able to focus in on one point. You may have noticed that I know um, a little about a lot of things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is just a funny story and then we can end off on it. Um, so I was one of four students who won an award at the University of Saskatchewan through this initiative. Um, well, not an initiative, they're a group. They're called MyTax. And they gave us research grants to do our own research over the summer. And by the way, thank you so much, MyTax. I forgot to thank you in the beginning, but I appreciate you for 
funding this project and letting me do this important work. But uh, so I would meet with this cohort like over the summer. And um, we were talking one day about focusing on one aspect and uh, going with that. And I um, have this uh, little quirk that is not my thing. Focusing in on one thing, that is not at all, that is that is not my forte. I would rather know like a little bit about everything and then just just run with it. That's that's just how I've always operated. So I'm explaining my research to this woman in a in a Zoom call, and everyone can hear what she says to me. <laughs> and I look back on it now, I'm like, oh Demetria. Uh, but we're in this Zoom call and I'm explaining all these like interesting things that I have found to her. And then she just says to me, she's like, yeah, your research seems really unfocused. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I was like, yeah, it is. And I immediately exited out of that Zoom call and cried. Because I, was like, I was like, yeah, it is really unfocused. I, I don't have any perspective on this. But, you know, I was able to. I do. I know. I know a lot. So um, if people are curious to hear more, I still have to write my final report for this project. If we will, uh, we will do another one for sure. And, uh, you know, Demetra, I want to thank you for coming on here today and, and doing this for, for people to, to learn more. And, uh, you know, we uh, need to educate each other to uh, about some of these issues and, and things that have happened so you know we will set another date and then uh, we'll go from there if there's anything you would like to add for for the audience uh i will leave it up to you and we will finish her off uh well i just want to say thank you to you again it's actually been so much fun to have this conversation tonight uh i was super anxious going into this and i was like well this is going to be an absolute disaster uh because uh that's way operate. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yes, Nezu Masi Cho, I will uh yeah, thanks Allison. All righty, Salotina Edladanuthen. Pretty interesting that the two uh NTC there's there's so much more. There's just, it's all of it. And uh, I, I really wanted uh, Lalash guys to you and all those things, um, you know. See guys here, I don't mean it in a bad way, Luke. But I just wanted to highlight some of the effects, you know. Do uh, language bosses seek, and that's a deal. Uh, you know, I know like uh, Allison this see uh, clear water do doing all the work to, to preserve our language maybe some of those things back in the day it's kind of affecting us today nothing in a bad way and uh, maybe like I said some of us you know know has Canada uh, you know drumdo tono we've learned the songs and all that um <clears throat> You know, ceremonies, round dances, uh, that's a day, you know, hot nestanarsi even sequasis, you know, um, 
it's just something uh, I feel that I, I'm missing. That's why I, I talk about this. Not, uh, you know, I know how like her, she, you know, faith, base, konisie, base, I always, you know, to my mom, uh, you know, church, base, I never really into it, but I do have faith. I, I don't steer away from faith, you know, creator, but the end of the day, I wouldn't be able to do this here today. It's just uh, some of those things they need to be addressed. Konis, then, Arsi. So, Ea Masi Chona Selotina. Thank you for always bringing up topics we're talking about and worth researching more about. Hey, Masi Cho, Masi Cho. Yeah, once again, Masi, uh, Allison, I appreciate that. And I commented, you know, and, uh, you know, there's a few comments there like Elden, you know, always encouraging people you know, to do this work, uh, you know, that one little comment or uh, something like that can go a long ways for sure. You know, Demetra might have been having a bad day and they said, hey, Nezun, keep up the research. Okay, that little bit is going to keep her going. Kontu, we got to change that thinking into something like that. So, uh, be gone a while now. Uh, so, uh, I'm not sure when, but we will set up a date. Round two with Demetra King. Clearwater River Dene Nation band member at the ESLU and Dunzinaga uh, join you live. Treaty 4 Territory is the home of the Cree, Métis, Sioux, Assiniboine, Dakota, all beautiful indigenous people. Tehu, Tehu, Snohabara, Lyonlit. 